episode 21 of season two it's the cup of mets podcast and uh we are recording for the second time today uh take two take two we we ran through a full episode full 40 minutes and my microphone was off the entire time so if this one fails 21's out the window we'll go on to next week uh with that being said rob how we doing brother doing great and you know here on a beautiful monday late afternoon here in new york um the mets they're on a hot streak right now tell us tell us a little something about that Yes, sir, that they are. The Mets are playing well. Um, first time we could say that in a while, six and two over their last eight. But before we get into that, remember to give us a follow on Instagram, on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, on TikTok and on YouTube. We are at Cup of Mets. Also, be sure to rate and subscribe to our pod, whether it's on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As mentioned, six and two over their last eight. And the Mets even got as close as six games back of the wild card. And yes, definitely due in part to a nice little winning streak they put together against the Pirates and then the Cardinals. Um, with that said, they fell yesterday. They are now seven games back, sitting at 58 and 67. Um, Marlins, Reds, Padres, they are all struggling. Uh, Arizona just started getting their act together. Rob, is it? even worth mentioning the wild card spot at all anymore or, or is this just done deal we're just delusional met fans i don't think we're so much delusional we're just very optimistic um again you know it's never over till uh, the fat lady sings and again nobody has clinched the playoff spot yet a lot of those teams that you mentioned are kind of hit like a cold spell and are uh, kind of struggling to just get things together um and the mets you know they're kind of clicking right now at a at a perfect time not a perfect time but at a good time and gained a little ground but all those also all those teams you mentioned we we're going to be we're going to be seeing very soon so uh we'll really see how the season shapes out yeah no perfect definitely would have been uh earlier on and earlier on in the season you're right about that but uh yeah so i mean the mets took three or four from st louis um they went ahead and took care of business against a, a team in the cardinals who have struggled all year long um, Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso led the way. Uh, they've been everything that we had hoped they had been all year. Francisco Lindor obviously has been the most consistent of the Mets offensive players all season long. Um, he had a tremendous series. With that said, Pete Alonso has finally found his stroke. He hit three home runs over the course of the series in St. Louis. He now has 39 on the year. Rob, what are you seeing from those two? They, they're on absolute tears right now. No, definitely. I mean, again, Francisco Lindor has been spraying the ball. He's got his average all the way to 252, which was very impressive. Um, he's just been on a kind of like that really, really hot streak. This is the Francisco Lindor we traded for. Um, and again, just not giving up on the season in terms of, you know, production. Um, again, then, you know, Peter Alonso, eight home runs in his last 15 games. He's kind of found it. I think that wrist is healthy and uh, up to full strength. You know, again, pre pre-show. I told you that he was going to end up with 50 home runs, and I still believe that. You're saying pre-show in terms of uh, our first go-around here? I'm saying I'm saying pre-pre-show because this was back when we tried recording the first time, and, you know, that was the pre-show. Now this is before this was the pre-pre-show. All right, so got you. So take one of the pre-show one. Got you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now, I'm with you on that. Most encouraging thing for me, over Francisco Lindor's last 15 games, he has a 422 on base percentage. He's getting on base at a high clip. He's not swinging and missing as much. You mentioned it. 
Um, he's spraying the ball. He's bumped his average up nearly 30 points from what it's been all year, right? It's been around the 220, 215 mark all season long. And he's gotten that on-base percentage up, which has created a lot of more um, opportunities for some of the other guys to drive him in. Um, Pete Alonso as well, you know, now he's up to 94 RBIs on the season. As you mentioned, um, he's got eight home runs in his last 15 games, 13 over his last 30. He's really found his stroke. Just a question that I did ask you in the first episode, and I'll ask you again because it's worth mentioning. Do you think that um, Pete Alonso maybe should have went on the IL or earlier on in the season, gotten that wrist healthy? Not, I'm not saying 100, 100%, but at least back to like 85, 90%, just so that, you know, another player could have put some competitive at, competitive at bats, um, you know? I mean, again, yeah, he came back a little sooner than expected. Um, and I think it did hurt him in, in a way because it felt like he was playing hurt and he just didn't look comfortable at the plate uh, throughout through his rough stretch. But um, like I said before, I think that wrist is finally healed. It's at 100%. And, you know, you could see it. He's been kind of not really, you know, again, he's been hitting the ball opposite field. Um, he's collected so many home runs over the last 30 games. It's just, you know, this is the Pete Alonso that I think the Mets need to extend. Yeah. I definitely think so. We mentioned it last episode. Um, you know, obviously it's not going to be done between now and the end of the season, but they got to lock him down. They got to make him the highest paid first baseman in the league, 28, $29 million a year. I know that I've been back and forth a few times, but we mentioned it before. Uh, and I am looking at Rob. That's why if you're watching the simulcast, I am looking at Rob. That's why I'm looking up, but uh, he is in the room with me. Um, but Pete Alonzo, for the most of his career has been a 260 to 270 hitter, right? And then this year he comes out 205, 210, consistently hitting that all year long. Though his average is only a 224, he's starting to connect more. And to me, that's a big thing because you don't want to throw eight years out of Kyle Schwarber. You know, despite hitting 40-something home runs, you want the guy to get on base. You want him to play good defense. You want him to, you know, not strike out over 130, 140, 150 times a year. You want it to be an all-around player. Pete Alonso is an all-around player. He's a generational power type of player. Um, and I think that locking him up is absolutely essential for them right now. So yesterday, the Mets took an L. Um, Carlos Carrasco started. And I guess the question that I have for you is obviously free agent at, at season's end. Um, won't be back with the club. Love him off the field. Really helped us out big time last year. With that said, this season, he's posted a 579 FIP over 19 starts. Um, is he, these are the same thing, but uh, is he more of an opener right now or is he a starter um, in in the big league? Um, well, you know, again, that's why I think you think Tampa Bay Rays for Carlos Carrasco's next team uh, is a good fit because, again, he could uh, honestly give you solid three, four innings. And then, you know, you pass it off to the best, one of your, you know, the best bullpens in the league. But again, is he an opener right now? I'm not sure. Cause again, first time through the order, second time through the order, what are those numbers? Can't really tell you off the top of my head because I don't know, but I'm sure they're not great. Um, the guy has been struggling all year. He's left the slider uh, hanging, you know, doesn't have the strikeout pitch, left the slider hanging, uh, you know, down the middle mostly the year, and that's why he's given up so many home runs. Velocity down. Velocity's down. Pitch clock is probably a factor as well for an old school pitcher like him. But um, again, you know, I have I have nothing but good things to say in terms of Carlos Carrasco as a person. But uh, you know, unfortunately, I just think the Mets need to move on. They need to let him finish out the you know the rest of the year and 
you know, we part ways. Yeah, that's ultimately what I think will end up occurring. Um, and that's the obvious. And I do have those numbers actually in front of me. So it's funny, you know, the, the case they made that he can give us, you know, two, three, four solid innings, that is accurate, right? And then it seems like everything falls apart. With that said, this is coming, this is this comes as a shocker, but 526 ERA first time through the batting order, um, 290 batting average against, and then it only gets worse. And obviously you would think it would only get worse. But you would think at least through the first time around the batting or uh, batting order, that ERA, that FIP would be lower. Um, but it's at 526. Second time, 6, 297 batting average against. Um, and then third time through the order, it's at a beautiful 1043 ERA. Hitters are hitting 339 off of him, 418 on base percentage. So they are getting on base at more than 40% of the time against him third time around. So um, I definitely think that he's an opener. And you took the words right out of my mouth, Robert. Uh, I believe that Carlos Carrasco's next destination could be Tropicana Field down in Tampa Bay. I think that they'd be a perfect fit for him. They could probably play with his mechanics a little bit, and um, you know he'd wind up being an impactful, impactful player in 2024. All right, Rob, is uh, Kodai Sanga an ace, ace, or a ace B? <laughs> an ace, ace. Um, Kodai Sanga. And they say, yeah, like I said, he's, uh, you know, been tremendous all year. He's got racked up 154 strikeouts. He's lowered his ERA to 3.19. And, uh, you know, every time he pitches, the Mets are competitive and they win. Uh, his last three starts, they've come out with W's. And uh, the start that impressed me the most was obviously not the one, the most recent one, which he went seven innings, but the one against the Braves where he went six innings. Uh, a lot of swings and misses, struck out guys like, you know, Matt Olson, Austin Riley. That's a hell of a lineup the Braves have over there in Atlanta. But uh, for a rookie to go out there, an experienced uh, age 30 rookie to go out there, first year in the major leagues, doing his thing, getting a lot of swings and misses. The ghost fork is a legit pitch. Um, I don't think the baseball is a concern anymore. Um, Kodai Senga, in my eyes, is an ace ACM. Yeah, listen, if, if he doesn't take it, and, and again, you said a 30-year-old rookie, you know, obviously sophomore years, players tend to take a step backwards, but he's a different case. You know, he may not have that sophomore skid and continue on this trajectory. I mean, listen, if he makes th 30 starts this year, he's striking out over 200 batters, you'd think, or he's or, or very close to it. You know, he's already in unmarked territories, um, you know, with the likes of uh, Tom Seaver and Dwight Gooden in terms of uh, rookie numbers. Um you know, he on the season as well. We've seen his ERA in the three eights, three sevens. Obviously, you said he got it down to three nineteen. His FIP is three six. Um, so his FIP is down there. He is everything the Mets could have asked for and more. And on top of it, he has been the ninth most valuable uh starting pitcher in the National League. So it just kind of goes to show where he is. And you mentioned the ghost fork. I'm pretty sure, Rob, no, he has the highest percentage of swing and misses on a singular pitch in terms of the fork ball, right? Sounds about right. And again, it's not just a fork ball. Every other pitch is effective. He's a six-pitch pitcher, and uh, he's cut the walks down a lot recently. So I'm, I'm just happy for him. And, and again, I can't wait to the walks. see what the future holds. Yeah, no, you're right. The walks, the walks have been massive, and I think the the last thing on that is his his forkball is, I believe, the the highest swung and miss pitch, uh, pitch this season. However, what he's been able to do, what's been able to cut down his walks as well, is he's been able to get ahead of hitters with that forkball rather than just using it as a, as an out pitch, as a strikeout pitch. So when he's able to locate that, and with six pitches, as you mentioned. 
you're guessing. And then all of a sudden the bottom drops out on a fork ball on a two strike count. And the hitter has the hitter, as you said, he has no idea what's coming, you know, when, when you're a six pitch pitcher. So, um, yeah, I love, if you say he's an ace ace, man, I would love him to be an ace ace. He could bring over his buddy, Yoshinibu, uh, Yamamoto. Maybe, uh, if Steve Cohen's gonna, uh, you know, without the pockets, maybe he can bring in a Shohei Otani, you know, have that nice Japanese trio, uh, atop the rotation. But, um, I definitely think Yamamoto is a, uh, is a consideration for the 2024 Mets and could be that big piece that joins Sanga. That would be quite a, uh, quite a, quite a duo there in Queens. So Ian, uh, obviously we talked about Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, uh, two big players, part of the Mets core, but, uh, another player that I think, you know, kind of solidified his name in that Mets core is, uh, a guy by the name of Jeff McNeil. I think the squirrel's back Ian, don't you think? He looks back. He looks back and he looks very, very comfortable at the dish. Finally, obviously a little bit too late. Um, but it's such a nice thing to see going into 2024. I had mentioned, mentioned earlier on the season, I'm no hitting coach. Um, hitting was not even my forte, but when, and Rob can attest to that, but when you are somebody like Jeff McNeil, he's almost like the Nestor Cortez of hitting he has so many different variances of his stance. He's off the plate more. Um, you know, he, he chokes up really, really high, as we all know, on, on two strike counts and even on one strike counts. He divvies everything up. And this season, we've seen him on top of the plate with a more upright stance, a singular stance, opposed to, you know, a variation of different stances. And over the last several weeks, I've, I mean, personally, I've been seeing him bent over a little bit more. I haven't been seeing the not the the end cap of the of the barrel as much. Um, there's less movement um, in his, you know, way to the ball. I guess you would, I guess you would say the swing. Um, there's less movement, therefore, it's easier for him to make contact. And as we know, Jeff McNeil is a slap hitter. He can hit the ball anywhere, and that's what he's doing. 328 over his last 15 games. And he's also included two home runs in there. So the power seems to be back as well. I don't, I don't know how it, it, that correlates with the, uh, with the batting adjustments there. <laughs> Let me get my coaching cap on, but no, yeah, you know, you make some great points Ian. Um, it does look like he backed up off the plate a little bit, which I think has led to the quote unquote power numbers for Jeff McNeil to rise up a little bit. Um, you know, to turn on that inside pitch now instead of just getting jammed up and hitting lazy fly balls or, or fouling, fouling pitches off that you should be pulling uh, to right field. Jeff McNeil is just doing what Jeff McNeil has always done. With two strikes, he puts the ball the other way, you know, tries to pepper a hit here and there. Um, I think if he just continues to do that in terms of, you know, that hitting philosophy where he just needs to put the ball in play, uses, uses speed to his advantage, you know, hit one over the third baseman's head for, for a little soft double or, or beat out an infield single with the bases loaded. Like, you know, the Mets need that again. And and that's what I think, that's why I think they were so successful in 2022. Yeah. And it's going to be that much more important going into 2024. Obviously they're going to have a more competitive in quotes, you know, approach McNeil Marte. Those are the two key cogs that the Mets need back in addition to whoever else they bring in. Right. And if we enter 2024 knowing that McNeil ended the 2023 season solidly, um, I think we'll all feel better. And, you know, the, the, the bright spots with McNeil 
throughout what has been such a miserable season, though, is he's still getting on base at a good clip, right? 333 right now, but it's been maintained at like 325 and above. So at least he's been doing that. He's still in the 99th percentile when it comes to strikeout percentage. So he doesn't strike out at all. He doesn't chase much. Um, but again, the fact that, as you said, he's able to turn on those inside pitches now um, gives him a whole new capability and allows him to spray the ball everywhere, hit for a little bit more pop, and just be a much more impactful player. And just hopefully we can just pray that it continues on into next season. And the squirrel is the actual two-time all-star that we know he is, the batting champ in the whole nine. The Little League World Series has been quite entertaining. Um, aside from that, sorry, we, we just have it on here. Um, Rob, DJ Stewart, Lil Wayne, go DJ. Uh, I, he's unreal. Uh, he's four home runs in his last seven games. I mean, obviously, it's such a short little stretch here. He's only, He only has 58 at-bats. Um, he's never had more than 270 in a season, but five home runs and again those 58 ABs 10 ribbies 324 on base percentage slugging 517 the new bench mob the likes of DJ Stewart Ortega Arauz Castro what are we seeing from Stewart does he fit in there in uh, 24 uh yeah another another variation of a bench mob you know the Mets have had a handful of players just random players that just kind of help their bench or have spurts like this and and DJ Stewart is a, is one of them, but I like DJ Stewart a lot. He shows what he could do at the dish. He's making the most of his opportunity. He could play a little right. He could play a little left field. Um, and again, he's just he's just a pure natural hitter. Former first round pick uh, back in 2015. I think I think the Mets should definitely give DJ Stewart a shot to uh, not you know not only try to make the ball club, but to make to compete for that fourth fifth outfield spot for the major league roster in 2024. I couldn't agree more. I think that his swing um, really could play. And I think that a lot relies on his health. That's been a major concern since he was drafted in 2015, took him three years to debut. Um, you know, so, and he was out of college. He did go to Florida state. So he was obviously you would consider more of a major league ready bat and it took him three years. So it's been a ride for DJ Stewart, but who knows, man, the Mets, for all you know, they could have caught lightning in a bottle here, and DJ Stewart could be who the Orioles thought he could have been several years back, and the Mets could bring Stewart into camp next year, make be that fourth, fifth outfielder, be that piece off the bench, and who knows, maybe he turns into something bigger. Um, you know, it's not only him though; it's Rafi Ortega. Rafi Ortega, he he's a decent little player, man. I mean, again, a little on the older side. He's 32 years old, but he plays a good center field. Uh, throughout his last 15 games, he's hitting around like the 275, 277 mark. Um, again, just another, I mean, I hate to say it, kudos to Billy Epler to kind of just getting these uh, itty bitty like minor league signings. Shocking. Yes, very shocking. But again, can't got to give credit where credits due and. You know, even Rafi Ortega, man, again, I could see him getting a minor league, uh, excuse me, a spring training invite, uh, you know, and maybe like a little minor league deal. Um, Jonathan, how are you? How are you? Yeah. Yeah. He's a nice little player, too. I mean, again, he hasn't really shown anything with his bat, but he gets those timely hits. We were there when he hit his first home run as a Met. And uh, again, just the fact that he's so versatile, he could play short, second, third, give like Lindor a day off and just DH him. Uh, that's also a plus, too. Yeah, I like that on Ortega. I definitely think that a spring training invite 
should occur. He should be back um, next year, and then hopefully he would accept a, an assignment in AAA because he's really good insurance. You know who Outer use reminds me of? Who? He reminds me of Odubel Herrera, the way that he swings, um, not necessarily with the big launch angle, but when he's able to turn on an inside pitch, he's really able to kind of, to kind of, you know, pull it to right. Um, and again, he's able to take those down pitches. Um, and we've even seen him go the opposite way a little bit, poking balls through the five hole um, in, in clutch spots. And despite hitting 125, again, he's got six rubies and 40 at bats. So he's been, he's been pretty consistent, especially with runners in scoring position. Um, for this newly acquired bench mom, quote unquote, um, you know, that's all we really could have asked for. And then Tim LaCastro, he hit his first home run in St. Louis. Um, and it was funny. I, I, you know, I mentioned this round one earlier today, take one. Um, but in 2016, the Mets started their nice little run in St. Louis, and it was really fueled by the likes of an unknown reliever who then was starting in Seth Lugo, right? Uh, someone who was called up by the name of Robert Gizelman. And then they ended up carrying them. And it was almost like the Mets did really well the series prior. Then they go to St. Louis, they take the first three and it's DJ Stewart, it's RAUs, it's Ortega. And then Lindor, McNeil and Alonzo are getting their shit together. And you're like, all right, wait a minute. Is there actually something to this? And you see the number get the six games back and you you start questioning, but then you start questioning yourself. Are you a delusional Met fan? And at the end of the day, I think we're kind of like a little bit of both, maybe. <laughs> Definitely a little bit of both. But uh, like I said, it's not over till the fat lady sings. And again, baseball, that's the beauty of baseball. It's its a marathon. It's not a sprint. Listen, Fangraph's percentage has gone up from 1.4% to 1.7% for their postseason odds. So as you said, anything can happen until the fat lady sings. Trending upwards. Trending upwards on August 21st here with, uh, you know, 40 some odd games to go. We, we shall see. We shall see. Rob, you have the, uh, you have the pitching matchups available before we uh, wrap up episode 21 here. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. All right. Well, we'll try to wrap up episode, episode 21 this time, but let's see. Okay. The probables for today, uh, Monday, August 21st. All right. David Peterson goes against Alan Winnens. Uh, seven twenty first pitch on Tuesday. Same thing. Seven twenty first pitch. Tyler McGill against Bryce Elder, and then on Wednesday, also seven twenty first pitch. Jose Quintana versus our arch nemesis Charlie Morton. Okay. All right. So those are three. So we got Peterson, McGill, Quintana. Well, first off, for me, I'm looking at Peterson. Peterson to me, I think, is somebody that can. Uh, I don't know what faces you were just making, but um, Peterson to me is somebody who can slot into the rotation next year. Um, I know that people may say, say I'm crazy given the starts that, you know, he absolutely imploded this year. His walks have been a concern as well, but he's never, again, he's never been given that every fifth day opportunity. Now he is, and he's been pitching much better since Verlander and Scherzer have, have both departed. Um, I'm really looking forward to not only watching David Peterson against Winnings tonight, but just watching David Peterson pitch um, for the rest of the season, right? Um, obviously, you look at his numbers, they don't look good, 545 ERA, but he's got a 471 FIP. And if you look a little bit deeper, his expected FIP is 378. For someone who's 3-7, and seven, has thrown in 20 games, 
you would expect a negative war. He's posted 0.3 war. We know that he has this stuff. He's struck out 79 in just about 73 innings. When Peterson's on, he's on. He's got that nasty slider, great fastball that has a lot of run on it. If he could just con- you know, stay consistent with that arm slot, um, I-, I-, I really think that he could be a-, a nice piece for the Mets moving forward, not only next year, but in years to come. Um, and, and what about you with, with this series? Obviously there's quite a bit, this could be the absolute, this could be the funeral for the 2023 New York Mets. I mean, if it hasn't already occurred, but, um, you know, what, who are you looking at? McGill or Quintana? Uh, honestly, I like Jose Quintana a lot. I'm, I'm again, hopefully the Mets can just be competitive here and not get blown out 21 to three. Um, but again, Quintana, uh, I'll, I'll say it now. And I've said it in the past. Imagine the Mets had him when the season began. You know, he's really pitched and not lived up to his contract yet, but again, has pitched well. Um, record aside, he's gotten the outs when he's needed to. He's given us innings. Um, I'm also really interested in David Peterson because, again, I think I think as a former first-round pick, you expect a lot from a young stud pitcher who was picked in the first round. Um, and again, you, you hit it on the head. He hasn't really gotten that five-day opportunity consistently, so I really want to see how he ends his season as well. Um, throughout the last seven games, though, for David Peterson, he's 1-0 with a 2-2-5 ERA. So, again, the walks are concerned, but the reason why his pitch counts are so high because not only does he walk five-plus guys every now and then, but he'll also strike out five-plus guys. So, again, his numbers are going to, you know, diminish or, or be worse, look worse because of the walks. Um, but other than that, I just hope the Mets take two out of three and – you know, maybe gain a game or two when they win those two out of three. So we'll see. Maybe I'm being optimistic here. You want to make you're the playoffs? A, you're a you're a belie- you're a believer, man. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about a believer, but it's just nice to see like that they're playing with a little bit of heart. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean it's hard. It's really easy for a team to give up after losing all those players at the deadline and falling so far back in the standings. Um. So yeah, and also hot take here. Um mentioned earlier on Carlos Carrasco done at the end of the year. won't be a Met any longer. He definitely is more of an opener than a starter. I think Tyler McGill, I've said it before on this, on the pod. I think Tyler McGill is the perfect figure to introduce to that two to three inning role, even four innings, because we know that he has the capability of being spread out. Obviously he has his really, really dominant moments and he's got really, really great stuff. But imagine if you have a starter that, you know, gets kind of roughed up, but keeps you in the game, keeps you within three runs after three. And then you have someone like Tyler McGill that can go out, throw 95 plus and be a dominant force for three innings. Um, I think that would maximize McGill's value. I don't have, you know, McGill's numbers of, you know, him through the order once, twice, three times through the order um, against the opposition. But, you know, his 553 ERA doesn't stray far from his 514 FIP. So he has not had a good year. Um, therefore, I I don't know. I know that the Mets want to do more of a six-man down the stretch here to give Kodai a day and kind of preserve his innings. Um, but I don't know. Do you think there's anything to that, McGill being more so of a long man than a starter? No, I think, again, I think we all see what Tyler can can be as a major league pitcher. Last year, you know, he started, what, 3-0, 4-0 for the club. You know, made an opening day start. Yeah, he's got the stuff for it. He just has to stay healthy. Um, do I think – it sounds like you think he could be like a Trevor Williams-type role. Um, that would be kind of nice because, again, the, I feel like the Mets 
missed that this year a lot in terms of uh, the Trevor Williams type role. But um, again, Miguel, I could see as a one to two inning guy, but you know, so far this year, he just hasn't been able to get through the fifth, just like Cookie. And, and, you know, same thing with him. His control is very erratic. Yeah. See, and, and that's the thing. Imagine if you start to transition him now and he, um, you know, molds to that role in a positive way, then all of a sudden the Mets can go out. And if Peterson looks good down the stretch, you can, you know, put in Quintana, Sanga, and Peterson as three slots in your rotation that's filled. And then you go out and you go get Yoshinibu Yamamoto. And then you go get another innings eater who can give you 30 starts a year. And then you can have Tyler McGill as that bullpen piece, right? But he can also be depth. If somebody goes down, he can you can insert him into the rotation. Obviously, you want better depth than Billy Epler was able to provide this year. Um, but I think McGill would be a perfect individual to um, be the long man in the bullpen in 2024. And I think it would be a kind of a prime opportunity to put him in there. But as you said, I mean, he's only really gone three innings anyway because he can't get past the fourth. So um, I guess there's something to that. As we wrap up episode 21 of season two, Rob, any final thoughts here as the Mets uh, head off to Atlanta for a three-game stretch? No, again, just, you know, you got to believe. That's our slogan, right? Uh, Again, I'm not calling for the third wild card spot, but just finish the season strong. Keep playing competitive. Um, And, you know, bench mob, keep doing your thing. Mets fans, be patient because next year I have a really good feeling about this team. And, you know, that's that's knowing not knowing what we're going to do in the off season, but trust me, I, I I have faith in this, in this organization. I have faith in the owner, uh, keep subscribing, keep listening, keep following, um, you know, follow, follow cup of baseball. That's another thing I want to say. Definitely follow cup of baseball. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, definitely going to take off in 2023 and, and beyond. And then, you know, last but not least, shout out to my 14 U team, you know, boys of summer central champions. Uh, very fun season, very fun summer, and uh, a team I'll never forget. So I love y'all, and thanks for listening, and, you know, let's go Mets. Absolutely, little trees, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, Rob hit, it, hit the nail right on the head. Uh, be sure to rate and subscribe to our pod here, whether you're listening on Spotify, on Apple, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Also, be sure to subscribe on Instagram, on Twitter, or X, whatever you prefer. YouTube and TikTok. We are at Cup of Mets. For Robert Renegas, I'm Ian Bosniak. Again, be sure to follow at Cup of Baseball. Good night, everybody.